Hey there, City on the Edge listeners. As you might have noticed, we've been a little bit slow getting the next episode out, and we've got some great excuses for that, but rather than bore you with those, instead we're going to give you a bit of a bonus. If you didn't know already, I, Ty Bannerman, and my wife, Courtney Fitzgerald, have recently started another podcast on geography and history. It's called Any Town USA, and we're pleased to present the very first episode to City on the Edge listeners. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Anytown USA podcast on iTunes. And City on the Edge will be back very soon with an episode on Little Beavertown. All my life I've been a traveling man. Welcome to Anytown USA, the podcast where we believe that everywhere is interesting. We are your hosts, Courtney Fitzgerald and Ty Bannerman. Uh, We are married, so hopefully that'll mean we can get together fairly regularly to actually make this thing happen on a regular basis. And uh, why don't you go ahead and just uh, tell us, tell the audience what the um, what the basic idea behind this podcast is, Courtney. So a few years ago, we were gifted a beautiful atlas, mm-hmm. and we've had this atlas for a while. And um, It's a massive uh, National Geographic world atlas. It's very large. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do is open up at first to the United States, and we have a small fine tip Crayola marker, which we will dangle over the map close our eyes, move our arm around a little bit, and then drop it. Mm -hmm. And then wherever the point lands, that is the place we will spend a week researching. Right. So the thing is, we're going to start with the big map of the U.S., so it's going to tell us which state. And then we're going to go zoom in on the state and do the same thing again. Oh, okay. So we'll do it twice. So we'll have a particular county, and we're going to have a week to try to figure out the most interesting stories that we can tell about this place. We're each going to go try to find an interesting story. Sounds good. Okay? Okay. All right. Well, this is our very first time to do this. It's very exciting. Hopefully um, hopefully we don't find the most boring county in existence. But, of course, the <laughs> no. premise behind this podcast is everywhere, everywhere is, interesting. is interesting. So we're going to give it a shot. So, Courtney, why don't you uh, stand up? I'm just going to close my eyes. Okay. You're going to do that? I'm just worried that the eastern seaboard's not going to get its fair due here. Okay. Oh, she has dropped it, and it landed, looks like Indiana. Yeah. So let's turn to Indiana. Okay, so we're uh, we're over here on the Indiana page, and Courtney is dangling the pin over Indiana. And... Okay, looks like that hit right on Anderson, Indiana, which uh, looks like a little ways outside of Indianapolis. So what do you know about Anderson, Indiana? Not a thing. I don't really know anything about Indiana. Okay. Here's what I know about Indiana. David Letterman is from Indiana. (laughs) Um, They have a race there. Oh, that's right. The Indianapolis 500. But that's in Indianapolis, not in Anderson. And, of course, there's a uh, quaint town called Pawnee. Oh, I wish we'd gotten Pawnee. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't think it actually exists. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to find out. Something about Anderson, Indiana, and uh, see you in about a, a week. All right. Have so, a little transportation music to bring us back here. Hello. And, uh, hey, so it's uh, <laughs> it's been a week, give or take a few weeks, and um, we 
have learned a little something about Anderson, Indiana. And I've got to say, I was rather pleased at what I found out. I found out some pretty fascinating stuff that I'd never had any idea about before. Uh, not just about Indiana, uh, not just about Anderson, but uh, Indiana as a whole and yeah. uh, various things. How about you? What was your experience like yeah. learning about Indi- Anderson, Indiana? So I got to say, I, I'm, I've, I looked at a lot of photographs of Anderson, Indiana. It looks like a really charming community. I read a little bit about the history of the town, and mm-hmm. I know you were looking at a lot of uh, early early history of Anderson. but Yeah, so I kind of covered the early stuff, and then Courtney has a... A snapshot of what modern-day Anderson, Indiana looks like from um, a few thousand miles away, anyway, uh, through the magic of the internet and other research tools. <laughs> the magic of the internet, and I just can't even imagine doing something like this without it, so no, let's all is... take a moment to just appreciate the internet. <laughs> Thank you, Al Gore. <laughs> Thank you, Al Gore. Oh, Lord. So... Anderson, Indiana is, is a town, a city, outside of Indianapolis, and its population peaked at around 1970 when the town had about 70,000 people living there. Okay, so never a really big big city or never anything like huge, that. Never huge, but you know, if you think of it as being a community outside of Indianapolis, probably some people live in, Indi- in, in Anderson and commute. Um, but in 2010 census, there were just under 60,000 people living there. So the okay. population's declined in recent years. And, you know, um, during the Great Recession, there was a big problem with unemployment in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, that's rebounded a little bit. It got up to 13.5% in 2010. 13.5% unemployment. Unemployment, which is okay. really, really high. So it's been through kind of some tough times like the rest of the country. Yeah. Uh, anything that anything in particular that's like to account for the population drop between 1970 and the present day? Well, I think that Anderson um, was a was a town that was hit pretty hard. General Motors had manufacturing in the community, okay. and when they closed the plant. Uh, it really kind of hurt the town sure. a lot. Yeah. And in fact, I think that I'm trying to find where I saw this, but I think that um, along with unemployment, there was a, a high demand for federal assistance programs in okay. Anderson, much higher than the rest of the United States. Um, and I think that that continues right now. And I know the average house value, so city data is a really good website to find like house value and mm-hmm. average income and, and education. Um, more than 85% of Anderson residents have at least a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. The median household income in the town is $31,000-ish, mm-hmm. um, whereas the rest of the state, it's 47000 So okay. it's a really big disparity. Yeah. Um, house values are lower in Anderson than the rest of Indiana. So without knowing too much about you know economic factors that are affecting this community, I think it's fair to say that something happened, yeah. and it's kind of a, an area that's probably... People are probably hurting a little bit. Well, in, definitely, in the town. like kind of economically depressed. Right, but it is a really beautiful town, mm-hmm. um, and there are some really gorgeous buildings. Historic Anderson is quite lovely. There's a historical and cultural preservation commission, and and there are lots of um, there are lots of places that are on National Historic Registry. And my favorite one was the Paramount Theater. Okay. Which is just gorgeous, and I want to go there. So if we ever go to Anderson, uh-huh. we have to stop at the Paramount Theater because okay. it looks absolutely gorgeous. So what is the? Tell me about the Paramount Theater. What's so that like? The Paramount Theater is what's called an atmospheric theater, and 
it was designed by an architect non- named John Eberson. Apparently, um, he designed several of these kinds of theaters. And what they wanted to do was... What's the, the time period? The time I period? I think they were popular in the 1920s. Okay, okay. so this is like so, classic golden age of right. cinema kind of stuff. And they wanted to make a theater that was transporting patrons to like an Italian courtyard or some, mm. some like provincial place in Europe. Sure. And this one really does that. And this, even the ceiling is painted to look like a sky. So it's painted a light blue oh, wow. and they project clouds onto the ceiling. Oh and, and before the show starts, whatever the entertainment happens to be, whether it's a movie or a performance, they dim the lights in such a way to make it look like a sunset in the theater. Mm, so it kind of takes you there. It right. transports you. This is like the era where like movie theaters were like temples, you know, like you would go to the, like it would take you to an Aztec pyramid or something, right? The whole idea was transporting you. Right. And this particular yeah. one is decorated in the style of a Spanish via village. <laughs> so, um, it was, it was really funny for me looking at it because I grew up in Texas and it looks a little bit like the Alamo, like the buildings oh. look a little bit oh, like that. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting too, but it looks like a really beautiful place and it's definitely someplace I'd like to go. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about how the town was founded and okay. a little bit of that ancient history. Yeah, so I, uh, I kind of delved into the more historical aspects of it. And the first sort of surprising fact I found about it was that it is named, it's named Anderson, obviously. And right. you would think that just sounds like some businessman or something. Some dude. But actually, Anderson is named for William Anderson, who was a chief of uh, a tribe of Delaware uh, Indians. Um, born, He was born about 1750. His mother was native, and his father was apparently Swedish. His oh, name was... okay. Honest John Anderson, he ran a, a ferry in Pennsylvania um, because apparently the Delaware Indians were living in uh, in Pennsylvania, which seemed a little counterintuitive to me, but I guess that makes sense. Um, okay, so Chief William Anderson uh, became the head of the, uh, the Turkey clan of the Delaware. Okay. And then... Um, and his wait, his his name was William well, Anderson. His uh, his um, European name was William Anderson. He had another name. It was Kickthawinund, uh, which translates to the creaking of the boughs, okay. which is rather a beautiful thing. But his father was he really wanted him to have a um, a European name, probably to make sure that he could. Um, you kind of like relate to Europeans maybe a little bit better or uh, be accepted a little bit more quickly. So after a few moves, uh, Chief William Anderson, I guess he wasn't quite a chief at this point, but he was a, he was the head of the, uh, the Turkey clan of Delaware. Okay. Uh, he came to the Ohio Territory. And at this point, the natives in the Ohio Territory, um, mostly Delaware, but also other tribes, uh, were actually at war with the United States trying to prevent settlers from moving into the land. What year was this again? This is the uh, early 1790s. So oh, he was okay. at war. Um, he, uh, so he personally experienced what it was like to be at war with the United States. And apparently he did not like that. You know, one can easily imagine that he, he saw it as, uh, as perhaps futile. Um, so that particular war ended in uh, 1795 with the signing of the Treaty of Greenville. 
Um, at which point uh, the 14, and he actually signed it as a as chief of the Turkey clan. He was one of the 14 Delaware chiefs who uh, who signed that treaty. Um, and one of the things that it did was force them to leave Ohio. And so he and his family moved to the Indiana Territory, ah. which, as you might guess, was set aside for Indians. Indiana. Right. Yeah, well, exactly. there it is. Um, so he moved there and he settled in the area, uh, a place along uh, the White River. This is the area of present day Anderson. Um, he built a little village there. He lived in a two-story log home right in uh, the area that would be downtown today. Okay. Um, and he lived there fairly happily. And the, uh, there, were, there were white settlers in the area, and they are the ones who gave it the name. Anderson. Okay. They, they also called it Anderson Tun. Anderson Tun. Which just which, sounds terrible. Yeah, so, so that, thank God that we lost the time. Um, and my favorite was apparently uh, there were Moravian missionaries who called it that heathen village four miles away. Uh-huh. So I, I guess, yeah, that was... <laughs> <laughs> that was their their colorful nickname. You gotta it. wonder if did like one of the historians write that down somewhere? I, yeah, I guess maybe. <laughs> uh, right about eighteen oh six, he actually became the head, the chief of the entire Delaware tribe. He was um, elevated to that position. Um, it was apparently it was one that he did not particularly want, according to his descendants. But he. Uh, he took it on and saw it as his duty and apparently was considered a good foot for the position. Okay. Okay, so about five years pass. Everything's nice and quiet in Andersonton. Um, but then a guy called Tecumseh raises a confederation of Native Americans who have uh, had it yeah. with, uh, with the U.S. government and its false promises and continually forcing Indians to leave their lands. And to come say is like we're going to we're going to take back Indiana, we're going to take back Ohio, it's going to be our country. Um and he came to Chief Anderson and asked him to once again uh take up arms against the United States. Chief Anderson, perhaps uh, stung by his experience in the uh, the Ohio Wars of the 1790s, declined. Oh, he turned to come sit down. He turned to come sit down. And, in fact, he allied himself with the United States. Oh. Um, and the United States was very happy to have an ally, and the, uh, the territorial governor, uh, William Henry Harrison, um, said, hey, that's great that you're on our side, Tell you what, I've got this plan. You guys need to get out of Indiana. Why don't you go back to uh, to Ohio for a little while? Um, what we want to do is we just want to make sure there's no Indians here except bad Indians. Um, and uh, <laughs> and what we're going to do is you guys go back to Ohio. We're going to burn your village to the ground. <laughs> um, that nice little village that you've been, you guys have been living in. It's important for us to burn it to the ground so that Tecumseh and his confederation don't have a place to shack up while they're invading this territory, and that's exactly what they did. So the treaty was, you guys need to clear out of here, leave your village and your homes, and we're just going to torch it. We're going to torch it. You know, and you can see that militarily that makes a lot of sense, and I'm sure that um, Chief Anderson probably held out some hope that he would be rewarded for his compliance. Um, After the War of 1812... Uh, that's that's when Chief Anderson is allowed to return to Indiana, which 
you know, you have to remember is the territory that was granted to him, you know, by the uh, the the earlier treaty. So he came back to um, the town, the site of the town. They started to rebuild, and then guess what happened? What? In eighteen eighteen, um, President James Monroe decided he had a great idea for what to do about the Indian problem which is the Indian problem is the Indians are living in a place that the U.S. government has decided that now it wants, right, over and over and over, over again. Over and over yeah. again. So they're like, you know, Indiana is actually, we're kind of thinking maybe some pe- some of uh, some white people could live there. Um, problem is all these Indians are living there, and we told them that they could. So um, James Monroe is like, well, why don't we just make them all move west of the Mississippi, and they can live there forever and ever and like we'll never bother them. So it's like it's treaty time. It's again. treaty time. So um, James Monroe's representatives uh, come out um, and begin attempting to negotiate that. Now I don't know exactly what William Anderson's intentions at this point might have been. If he would have, uh, he was hoping, I think, to to get a good deal out of it. Um, however, he entrusted the negotiation of the treaty to his son-in-law. Uh, which it was a white guy, um, a fur trader named uh, named William Connor, Connor that I mentioned before. And he yeah. basically said, "Okay, William Connor, you you're an English speaker. You do the negotiation. I trust you." And this was a problem because it turns out that William Connor was a real son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, so he negotiated, and uh, apparently his thought process was, "Well, there's no way that the natives here are going to um, are going to come out ahead." So. So I, I may better. as well make some money at this. Oh, so he basically negotiated on behalf of himself, which was, "Hey, I'll convince the uh, the the tribe here to leave if you guys give me like six thousand acres of Indiana territory and a bunch of money for the translation service that I'm doing for you guys, and I'll I'll get Chief William Anderson and my wife and my kids." to leave the territory. And that's exactly what happened. And he, he convinced William Anderson that it was the best deal that he was going to get. Um, and so Chief William Anderson, his, uh, his daughter, um, McKinjies, and, uh, and William Connor's children all were forced to leave <laughs> to Missouri. Okay. And William Connor, to his credit, accompanied uh, his wife, his and, wife children. and children halfway to their new home. And then he was like, you know what, guys? This ain't working out for me. I'm out of here. I'm going back to my 6,000 acres. He waited eight months, got married to a white lady, and just basically abandoned his children and his wife. Um, he Classy. swore to them that that they would be given, that, that the children, his native uh, children, would be cared for after his death. But then when he actually died... He had left them nothing, had excluded them completely from his will, and instead left all of his stuff to his new white children. Um, McKinjies attempted to uh, to fight this in court, and um, it was thrown out because uh, Indian, huh. basically. Uh, Chief William Anderson um, wound up settling in uh, Kansas, finally hoping to find a place for his people to occupy forever. Um, didn't work out. He died of smallpox. Very sad, oh, I think. Man. But so, I think just kind of like this is the uh, this is a little microcosmic experience of U.S. and Native American policy. 
So can I just say that every reading that story and hearing you just tell it again now, every time. So when we first dropped the pin or the pen mm-hmm. on the map and, and landed on Anderson, Indiana, and I looked at pictures, I thought, oh my gosh, it looks like Pawnee, which is the fictional yeah, town from yeah. Parks and Recreation. And when you told me that story, <laughs> I was like, man, it's really like Pawnee. Like Pawnee. <laughs> Except that's named after a tribe rather than an individual, but still, it's just very interesting. Now, for what it's worth, uh, the town of of Anderson, uh, they do seem to venerate Chief William Anderson. Um, He's, you know, like uh, memorialized in many different spots in the city. His stories are are told over and over again. So, I mean, I don't know, like I say, I don't know exactly what that's worth, but. it is nice that he's not completely forgotten. Um, well, sure, and yeah. they kept the name of the town. They did keep the name of the town. It is just such a sad story, and it I just really I feel so awful about it. But it's also a story that's uh, it certainly wasn't just in Anderson, Indiana, where this sort of thing happened. This <laughs> no. happened all over the United oh, yes. States. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Why don't we move forward in time a little bit Mm -hmm. through all the different incorporations of Anderson and then to what finally put Anderson on the map. So Anderson had a hard time becoming an actual city. (laughs) They really, they tried and tried and tried and it just, it was difficult for them, but they were... So at this point we're talking about the white settlers who uh, took over after... uh, after right. The chief left. So in December of 1838, they were incorporated as a town with 350 people living there. Which I think you pointed out was the size of your marching band in y- high school. Yes, that was the size of my high school marching band. But these were these were people living in the town. They they incorporated and they became a town, an official town. And there was a, a central canal, which is, was a branch of the Wabash or Wabash and Erie Canal, and it was planned to come through Anderson, and the work started, but then it kind of fizzled out during the Panic of 1837. Right. This was the canal age, right? They were just building canals left and right, right. and they just didn't quite get to the one that was going to make Anderson a, you know... A city. Bustling city. Right. So it, it went back to village status. So it lost its incorporation as a... Of a town. It was a a town. town. Okay. And then 10 years later in 1849, it was incorporated a second time as a town. Okay. But it went back in 1852, so just a couple years later, to village status. Oh, you got to feel like, come on, (laughs) Anderson, you can do it. You're just trying to start. a little town that could. And then the railroad came through. Mm-hmm. And they got a station in 1852. And so the third incorporation of Anderson happened on June 9th of 1853. And that one took. And the it population took. continued to increase. They officially and then, became a town. Yes. And then in 1865, so just over 10 years later, 12 years later, the population reached 1,300 people. And it was finally incorporated oh as a city. But So it, it had a couple false starts there, but it didn't give up. The little town that could. It seems like such a small city, 1,030. It, it's tiny, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty small. I don't even know if that counts. <laughs> there it is. Well, officially, I guess it did count. So let's talk about after the Civil War, post-Civil War, 1887. Wait, wait. 
What what happened in 1887? The discovery of natural gas. Okay. So Is there I something you want to talk about between there, or do you want to yes, talk about the gas? Because Anderson, according to uh, to Wikipedia, it was known as the Queen City of the Gas Belt and the Pittsburgh on White River. The Pittsburgh. Uh, after the gas boom. Every um, town dreams of being the Pittsburgh. <laughs> I know. Like, what a... What a, uh, a it seems like kind of a low bar now. I mean, nothing against Pittsburgh, no, but you Pittsburgh never say like, awesome. you're never like, well, we want to be the Pittsburgh of the Southwest. We want to be the Pittsburgh on the Rio Grande. No, you're like, we want to be New York City or maybe Chicago or Paris or something like Nobody's ever like, <laughs> we want to be Pittsburgh. Well, I think though, during industrialization, that that Pittsburgh was, was probably a great city to it be. Was a, yeah. And it was a time when Pittsburgh was growing by leaps and bounds and it attracted all this, yeah, industry and so forth. So, all right. So we're going to have to talk about the Indiana gas boom, which is kind of a fascinating uh, time period that I had no idea about. I had not actually heard of this. Yeah, neither did I. And, and this is like a cool thing about Indiana. I think that, man. Okay. 1876, Eaton, Indiana, which is about 30 miles northeast of Anderson. Okay. Uh, workers are looking for coal deposits because that's what they burn for heat, you know, et cetera, and all sorts of industry. They dig down into the earth, they get about 606 feet down, and they break through into a vast space. And a bad smell. Yes, it's a, it, it released foul fumes and awesome noises. And where did they think they found? They thought they'd found hell. Yes. So they were like, oh, <laughs> close it up, close it up. God, oh, that's hell down there. Um, <laughs> Let's just seal this up. Let's back away. Let's say it never happened that we accidentally found hell underneath Indiana. And let us never speak of this again. Yeah, exactly. However, a few short years later, eight short years later, in Finlay, Ohio, gas, natural gas was discovered uh, down there. And Finlay, Ohio, started to uh, started to grow. There was suddenly a lot of industrial interest in Finlay, Ohio, because they discovered an apparently limitless amount of natural gas. So, guys in Indiana um, thought to themselves, "Remember that gateway to hell we found? Maybe we should recheck that. Maybe that wasn't hell. It <laughs> was gas. Maybe we were kind of dumb about that. So they went back." They opened it up, they started, and indeed, it was natural gas, and it said that they actually like leaned forward and took a smell and decided that it wasn't so um, so noxious as they thought it was before, but it sure. was, in fact, the sweet, sweet smell of natural gas and money. Yeah. So they, uh, they set up some, uh, some gas wells there, and um, you know what looks really cool? What you do with natural gas that can look really cool when you're digging out of the ground? Tell me what looks really cool. Set it on fire. It looks <laughs> awesome. So they did that. And basically, all over Indiana, they were like, wait, natural gas? We can start like digging for natural gas? So they start digging. every Basically, every town in, the, in Indiana is like digging down into the ground. And I think it's important for you to note how big this cache is. Yeah. Of so, natural gas was. Well, uh, yeah. So what they found... Because you're saying all over Indiana, and I, I want to make it clear to people 
just how large and vast this natural gas deposit was. So all these people in uh, in counties um, all over kind of the uh, the middle east and central portion of Indiana, they were all digging down. They were all finding natural gas. And it wasn't a bunch of separate deposits. What they'd actually tapped into was the Trenton Gas Field. And it was actually the largest gas, natural gas field um, at that time. It covered 5,120 square miles underground, and it had 1 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. Now, just to put that in perspective, the largest gas field that exists today is uh, under the Persian Gulf. It's called the South Pars North Dome Gas Condensate Field. It has 1,800 trillion cubic feet of gas. So honestly, not that much more than the Trenton gas field. And in terms of square mileage, it's 3,700 square miles. So it's actually smaller in area than the the, uh, the Trenton gas field. So they they had discovered this absolutely enormous um, gas field underneath Indiana. And basically everybody in Indiana went crazy. The good times are here. Everybody starts making money hand over fist. They're exporting the gas. They're lighting their entire townships. And the people of Anderson, um, they don't have any companies investing in Anderson at this point, looking for natural gas. So the citizens of Anderson actually have a town hall meeting where they decide they're going to raise the money to make their own gas well. Ah. They do. They raised twenty thousand dollars, wow. which um, back wow. in eighteen eighteen eighties was worth I don't know bazillions of dollars. <laughs> it was a lot, you know. So they they raise their money for a gas well. They sink it, and sure enough, they find uh, gas there, and they light it on fire too because it looks so cool. And the jet of flame goes up one hundred feet into the night sky. And according to um, the historian and diplomat. John Bartlow Martin. I love this uh, this turn of phrase. He says, "Citizens did little more than gape at it for more than a month." So I just for more than a month, <laughs> everyone was just like, "Wow!" There's just this <laughs> that is hundred foot jet of gas coming out of the ground, and they're just like staring at it because, you know, that's what I'd do. Probably, I'd be like, "Wow, that's awesome." Um, they do get people to invest in the uh, in the gas. Um, and like every other city and, uh, and township in Indiana, they go nuts with it. And they build this big arch that greets visitors when they come in off the train that's just spewing gas like l- gas fires. They light their entire town with what they call flambeau lighting, which all that is is, is gas just pumping out all the time and on fire. Flambeau. Right? Flambeau lighting. And, um, you know, the thinking was, well, we could hire a guy to turn off the flambeau lights during the day. But why? But why? This stuff is just coming out of the ground forever. Clearly, this is God's providence being worked upon the earth. The good times are here. They're never going to end. Until? Until they ended. Until they ended. (laughs) So... Um, to the, to, so this is going on all over Indiana. Which, right, which I was going to say, which was I mean, hastened by not just Anderson's no, not into, community. Yeah. It was, it, the, the fact is, all these people, all these townships and so forth, including you know Indianapolis, places called Gas City that, that uh, spout up, 
they're all tapping into the same gas right. field. And also um, Ohio is doing the same thing. Finley, Ohio. It's, it's, they're all ga- uh, tapped into the same field. So they're all draining the same field. So, and they're all being extraordinarily wasteful. There are uh, stories of, I mean, they would just have like days where they would shoot up the gas fires as high as they could, you know, and all these things. <laughs> you can see pictures from the time. There's a picture of, um, of Findlay, Ohio in, in 1888, and it's gas jubilee. And basically, it just looks like the entire main street is on fire. The, that picture is astounding. <laughs> and if we have, it, if we have yeah, a, we'll, a way to put these up on a website. We'll definitely we'll get them up. Share um, there are stories of, in Anderson of people uh, like they... I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how this would be accomplished, but they somehow managed to uh, to get the gas to go through the river, and then they set the river on fire just because, again, it looks totally awesome. So all over Indiana, they're doing this. The, the legislature um, of Indiana actually enacts one of the very first uh, conservation laws um, in the country. Uh, which is basically to say, stop using these stupid flambeau lights. They're incredibly wasteful. <laughs> People are saying it's not going to last forever. Um, and, you know, there were scientists uh, saying that it's just not going to last. And indeed, it didn't. It didn't. And by 1910, so this is uh, so 18. T- yeah, 15 ish years, basically. Yeah, let's see. Um, 1887. 1887 is when the, the gas happened. Um, so 10, 13, 23 years. Okay, never mind. The pressure drops. All the flambeau lights start to die down. And, uh, and suddenly, suddenly Indiana as a whole, including, um, including Anderson, are, uh, are left literally in the dark because oh. um they they say that 90% of the Trenton gas field was wasted by these yeah. practices so if it lasted how many years did i just say 23 23 years? yeah that was 10% of the um they of the Trenton have, gas field if they could they, have had 200 years of yeah. and it wasn't yeah. just um it wasn't just the ridiculous uh i feel like um you know, all these stories about setting the rivers on fire. I feel like it's a scene from The Simpsons, like the citizens of right. Springfield would have done this. Right. Um, but it wasn't just that. It was also the, the technology of the time just wasn't really capable of, of preserving the gas. Right. The pipes were leaky. Yeah. So the natural gas was running low by 1910. Um, by 1912, it was gone. And by 1913, Indiana was importing gas from West Virginia, which... Oh, I mean that must have been embarrassing <laughs> because I mean they were they were convinced that this was it. This was Indiana was made, you know. Um, by 1920, they were entirely consumers of natural gas, no longer producing any. Um, so that's kind of the the sad story of the Indiana gas boom as uh, as seen through the lens of Anderson, Indiana. I mean, fortunately, um, Anderson. And Indiana as a whole bounced back. Right. Um, automobile mm-hmm. manufacturing um, started taking place in, in the state. In fact, Anderson had several uh, manufacturing plants. Um, I believe they were also manufacturing guns. Yeah, submachine guns. True. Uh, later on, um, they became, I think the tire thing, they started manufacturing tires that were vulcanized. Right, so they uh, were puncture-proof yeah. city. <laughs> I think, which I think is a pretty funny little... 
funny little name. Like, it sounds pretty cool to call it Puncture Proof City. And I think in a way, you know, they've definitely had their ups and downs. Okay. <laughs> and I think, you know, right now it seems like um, I just read that there's some good news for Anderson, that the uh, the big GM tire plant that uh, closed down uh, about a, a little while ago and uh, caused a bunch of depression uh, there has... Um, has been bought by a Chinese tire manufacturer who are going to start employing people there again. So there's some some signs that they're they're bouncing back. Great um, from the most recent recession. Well, I got to say, Anderson is a really interesting town with a really vibrant and fascinating history. Dude, I would totally go to Anderson, Indiana now. Would you? I, mean, I would absolutely go. go. Hey, if, if for if for no other reason, and there are plenty of reasons to go. I would just really love to go to that theater. So love to go to the theater. <laughs> I thought they've got you know museums about Chief William Anderson. Right. Um, the gas boom is fascinating to me. There's gas. There's uh, Indiana gas museums around that area. I think it would just be really cool. So never thought about Anderson, Indiana before. I'd yet. never heard of Anderson, Indiana before. They also have haunted houses. A lot of haunted historic. Houses. Yeah, a lot of historical old homes and, and hauntings haunted. as okay. well. So just. If anyone is into the supernatural, so then... So don't go because there's ghosts. No, 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 no. People love oh, ghosts. Oh, go because yes, there's ghosts. that's right. That's right. And I just want to say Anderson's motto is performance, talent, and inspiration. And not wasting all of our natural gas in any, anymore. Awesome. All right. So thanks, Anderson. Thanks, Anderson. And now we're going to open up the Atlas again oh. and see where we're going to go next time. Yay. Okay, so we've got the big book on the table. Okay. Courtney's got the pen, and she is going to drop it in the North American continent. Um, I don't know what happens if it hits Canada or Mexico. We'll, we'll just, we'll just drop best. it again. Okay. Okay, ready? All right. Whoa, and it hit. Oh, That's it. is that it? Yeah. What do we got? Oh, my. We're, we're right on the border of Kentucky, Kentucky and Indiana. Okay, let's say Kentucky, Kentucky since we did Indiana last time. All right, so now we need to flip to Kentucky. All right. Okay, so we're looking at uh, Kentucky. Courtney's going to drop the pin on Kentucky somewhere. We've got... What do we got? Drum roll, please. Uh, it looks like May's Lick. <laughs> May's right? Lick? <laughs> Is that a real place? Maze, M-A-Y-S, Lick, L-I-C-K. <laughs> Maze, Lick, Kentucky. <laughs> oh, my God. This is already amazing. Oh, <laughs> uh, May Slick, maybe. M-A-Y-S-L-I-C-K? Yeah, but it's two words in our atlas here. Oh, huh, that's weird. So, May, M-A-Y? M-A-Y, Maze, Lick. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, so, we've got Maze, Lick. Originally, or Maze, Lick. We'll or Maze, Lick. A census-designated place and unincorporated community located in Mason County, Kentucky, United States, about nine miles southwest of Maysville. All right. Well, we'll um, we'll do our best with uh, with Mays Lick and Mason County. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Mays Lick. All right. Awesome. So we'll do that next time. Staying alone and doing the best I can. 